Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the eighth episode of the Global Health Impact Fund podcast. I'm your host, Martin Eels, and we're all excited that you're joining us on this journey where we cover everything investor and health related. In the last episode, we covered the art of the pitch. If you haven't listened to this yet, we highly recommend you do. If you have, you know, we'd appreciate a follow and a five-star rating just so we can reach a bigger audience on the podcast channels. So in today's episode, you're in for a treat. I'm not going to spoil that. Um, I'm going to introduce my amazing co-host as usual, Dr. Oren Aloni Chavez, co-founder and CEO of the Global Health Impact Fund. Oren, as usual, it's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Martin. It's it's great to be here. This is this has been such a fun journey doing the podcasts, and I'm really excited today because we're switching gears a little bit. I was looking at our our podcast list and they're all how to how to um it's starting to look like a series of friends episodes uh, this is going to be different and i think it's going to show a shift in direction today we have the privilege of having a good friend of mine uh, blake richards who's the ceo of lucid um, and he's going to pitch but after he pitches we'll do uh you know sort of a q a back and forth with him and then after that's done, we're going to take a moment to talk about his pitch, to talk about the company and our thoughts around the whole process, which will hopefully, you know, surface some really interesting ideas for the audience. So we'll see how this format um, works and whether people uh, enjoy it and it resonates. I hope it does. And it's really my pleasure to have Blake be our first guest. So in our venture fund, we've invested in Lucid. We actually led the last round of, of investment. And uh, I really I really think they're doing important work. Um, Blake has been CEO, and I've known him for more than a year now. He's a fellow Columbia graduate. And I think you'll really enjoy the pitch. And I won't spoil what they do. I'll let Blake get there, but it definitely was something that interested me. So with that, let me introduce Blake and uh, he'll do a 10 minute or so uh, pitch and then we'll circle back and start asking some questions. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me, Oren and Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm Blake Richards. I'm the CEO of Elucid. We are a Boston-based medical technology company that are leveraging artificial intelligence applied to medical imaging to improve the diagnosis and treatment of cardiovascular disease. So most people may know this, or many may not, that cardiovascular disease remains the number one cause of death in all developed countries, and a large percentage of the developing world as well. There are about 23 million people that suffer an adverse cardiovascular event each year, be it a heart attack or stroke. This is mainly caused by atherosclerosis, which is a process of the progressive thickening and hardening of the arterial walls due to plaque buildup. And this can be caused by lifestyle, age, heredity, and other factors. But until this point, most tools that have been used to assess atherosclerosis are mainly focused on the narrowing of the artery or the total amount of the plaque volume. But plaques can have irregular consistencies, and plaques that have lipid-rich necrotic cores are more likely to break away or rupture and cause these adverse events, such as a stroke in the carotid or a heart attack in the coronary. What our platform seeks to do is provide physicians with better information 
about a patient's true risk of cardiovascular event and what the ideal treatment might be for that patient, be it procedural intervention or ideally which therapeutic. So to understand what we're doing, it's best to take a look at what the current standard of care is for a patient with suspected cardiovascular disease. We're going to start by focusing on coronary artery disease, as there's about 35 million patients assessed each year. And so these patients who may have high risk factors or may be experiencing certain symptoms, go to a cardiologist and go through a first-line diagnostic that's meant to be an inexpensive and non-invasive way of stratifying that patient's risk. Previously, that had been a stress test, but more and more commonly, we're seeing CT angiography being that preferred first-line diagnostic. Now, during this assessment, they're looking to stratify risk, and based on the result, that's positive or neutral, that patient is then sent to the cath lab for an invasive catheter-based diagnostic where they're looking to assess blood flow limitation. So what is the potential that blood flow may be limited, that may result in a lack of oxygen making its way through and being delivered to the heart that could result in certain symptoms or perhaps an event. And they do this by inserting a catheter through the groin and then using a pressure wire to measure that pressure differential across a stenosed region. It's a ratio known as fractional flow reserve or FFR. So there are about 5 million of these trips to the cath lab each year where they're looking to make this assessment. And what they're trying to determine is whether or not a stent would be the appropriate treatment for that patient or generally revascularization. And based on st studies that have been done and based on looking at the data, about half the time that patient moves towards revascularization. The other half flow is fine and that patient is generally put on statins. The problem with this workflow as it is today is threefold. First, that first line diagnostic is insufficiently accurate in its assessment of that patient's risk of cardiovascular event. It's not taking a look at that true risk of rupture, as I previously mentioned, that's heavily determined by these vulnerable plaque types like lipid-rich necrotic core and intraplaque hemorrhage. And because of this, you have a number of patients who are at high risk for event being sent home, and a number of patients who are at low risk being sent to the cath lab. For those patients being sent to the cath lab, as I mentioned, only about 50% actually move towards revascularization. That means for those other patients, they are put through an unnecessary invasive diagnostic that has negative financial incentives for the institution to go through. You only wanna be sending patients to the cath lab, not only because you're serving those that truly need that intervention, but also because it's more profitable generally to take patients into the cath lab that are actually receiving that intervention. And then at the end of that, we mentioned that most of these patients are put on statins, but there have been all these advancements in the world of cardiovascular therapeutics over the past decade plus. But many of these patients aren't receiving these treatments. The therapeutics are either cost prohibitive 
or have too negative a side effects to be given to the general patient population. And as such, almost no one ends up receiving them. So potentially avoidable catastrophic patient events occur because diagnostics haven't kept pace with available treatments. Our platform seeks to solve all three of these limitations. What we do is we analyze routine CT angiographies, either newly acquired or already captured, and we produce a plaque quantitation that is developed and validated against histopathology, meaning we use artificial intelligence that actually quantifies tissue as though a pathologist was looking at it under a microscope. And we've done that by using a large, large data set of paired samples of CT angiography along with the tissue that's actually been taken from that live patient. And so we've achieved the only FDA clearance and only CE marking to quantify plaque validated against histopathology. We have unique clearance to quantify lipid-rich necrotic core. And we actually have the accuracy of our non-invasive measurements in our FDA labeling, meaning we've demonstrated how accurate we make these measurements as compared to what a pathologist would see under microscope. By being able to do this, we have the unique ability to predict risk of MACE, so risk of cardiovascular event, about 30% better than standard uh, workflows are able to, and risk of stroke from studies we've done about 40% better than standard care. What we've recently published a study on is our ability to measure that fractional flow reserve from a CT angiography. And what we're able to do there is avoid those unnecessary trips to the cath lab that don't result in revascularization. This is great for the patient. This is great for the facility. This is great for the payer. We're avoiding unnecessary trips. There's a significant reimbursement for this in the US and it's recently been mandated in the UK. And on top of that, we're not just delivering that FFR, so giving you that blood flow limitation, but we're delivering that risk of event at the same time. So you can truly understand which patients are most appropriate for revascularization versus who would benefit from a more intensive therapeutic regimen. Finally, what we've demonstrated proof of concept for is actually the ability to estimate a patient's expression from a non-invasive CT angiography. So an imperfect analogy I'll use is for oncology, where they're able to take a biopsy of a tumor and run that through an analysis and determine which therapeutic or which treatment pathway is best for that patient individually. You cannot do that with cardiovascular disease. Biopsying an artery would potentially cause the event you're trying to prevent, the heart attack or the stroke. You don't want to disrupt one of these lesions. And so the only way we believe to get this information is through non-invasive imaging. And in a similar but slightly more complex manner to the way we validated against histopathology, we've used patients with these paired samples, but use true expression, so true coding and non-coding RNA transcripts to train our models. And we've demonstrated an ability and published upon this to actually estimate 
a large number of transcripts with statistical significance. Now, the applications for this include the ability to cost-effectively develop new therapeutics, the ability to demonstrate therapeutic efficacy during these trials, but eventually the ability to actually, on an individual patient basis, determine that patient's disease category and select which therapeutic would be best for that patient individually. True precision medicine in cardiovascular disease for the first time. And it's these three applications all working from one platform, from one non-invasive image that seeks to change in a paradigm shifting manner, the way we treat coronary, carotid and peripheral artery disease. Blake, thank you. That was, that was a really great, very thorough presentation. I appreciate it. I learned something every time I hear you give that talk. Um, let's start. Uh, with some questions, maybe more general questions, but I, I want to get into some real specific things I think would be really interesting to discuss. But what what drove you and the team into cardiovascular disease in general? Like, is there is there some sort of passion or or drive, or is it just that you had the technical skill and understanding that you could do something important? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's a few answers to this. So I think every one of us on the team has either been directly or had a close family member affected by cardiovascular disease. We're not unique in that situation. Um, as I mentioned before, cardiovascular disease remains the number one cause of death and disability globally in all developed countries. But it seemed like there were all these advancements occurring in other disease states, but not for cardiovascular disease. We we're, were using the same tools and technology we've been using for decades. And while there have been advancements. There hasn't been these paradigm shifting ones that we've seen elsewhere. We had the capabilities and we had the vision for what could be done. And after many years of each of us working in this field and different companies and gaining different insights, it was the passion that Andrew Buckler, our founder, had and the inspiration for assessing this plaque morphology in a manner that hadn't been done previously that led to our founding. And so that actually occurred in 2013. This is uh, not something that occurs very rapidly. There's a lot of time that it takes to develop the technology, but also to collect these tissue specimens, to run these studies, to take the technology from a concept is something that's achieved this unique FDA clearance that can deliver this value to improve patient care. Totally. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, one of the things I look at is the paradigm of having something that people want, which is good, versus having something that people need, which is, as a business, that's spectacular. Where do you see a lucid on that continuum of want versus need and if you're closer to the want side, how do you get towards the need side? Yeah, this is absolutely a need for the for physicians, for patients. Right now, the way things are operating, what's happening is there are so many patients that are not getting the treatment they need, but there are also patients being overtreated and not overtreated even in a manner that's beneficial for anyone involved. They don't want this to occur. These are unprofitable overtreatments that occur at the expense of treating patients that actually need this care. 
we've seen how this software has already shaped a large number of practices that are using it. But the concepts of what we're pushing forward on the fractional flow reserve and the virtual transcriptomics will forever changing how we actually diagnose and treat this disease. So I think in categorizing this, you don't always know what a need is because some of these things haven't existed previously. You can say, well, do we really need this if we've been operating without it before? But if you take a look at the large, large number of patients that are still experiencing these events and the inefficiency in treating many of the other ones, I would absolutely classify this as a need for these cardiologists, radiologists, and vascular surgeons. Right, right. That, that, that's a really good. That's a really good point. Um, one of the one of the other interesting uh, dilemmas I see that innovators have is that in in healthcare, especially, you know, the healthcare costs are obviously extraordinary in this country and and across the world. And so, as a matter of impact reducing costs for care is very valuable, but the truth is the system doesn't really work that way today, right? It works on revenue. And so I'm curious, you know, part of your pitch is about how you can reduce costs. Part of your pitch is about how you can increase revenue. Um, they're, they're different. The audience for those are different to some extent. How do you feel that those two pitches work? Which one is more successful or more well-received? And just talk a little bit about that, maybe even just as a, a general proposition. Yeah, so there's always danger when introducing a new technology, even if it's fantastic for cutting costs, if it has a negative impact on one of the major players or one of the major participants in that ecosystem, uh, it may limit adoption. Um, it's a reality that we exist in. Uh, in certain other countries, they have the ability to push this more aggressively, but the U.S. is a system of, of choice, and things that benefit the patient will generally be adopted in the long run, but overcoming negative financial implications is, is something many new technologies have to deal with, and that's why reimbursement is so important. What we're very prideful in and what we take a lot of comfort in is this is one of those rare wins where all of the players involved actually benefit. So the patient obviously benefits from better care and reduced unnecessary interventions. Payers benefit from reduced overall cost of care by avoiding those unnecessary diagnostics. But providers benefit as well, providers and overall facilities because there's significant reimbursement associated with this diagnostic, with our platform, in addition to the fact that they're able to serve patients that truly need this care and are actually more likely to move towards intervention. And by doing this, they're actually increasing the profitability of their time by serving patients that, again, not only who need it, but who tend to generate more revenue because they are reimbursed for such interventions at a higher rate. A lot of people may not be aware that even as an artificial intelligence solution, you have to go through the FDA, right? Your your you know your codes, your ones and zeros, right? So what is what does what does going through the FDA? What does the regulatory path look like for an artificial intelligence based company 
And what are your biggest challenges in getting through the FDA? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm going to talk more generally about, about this topic. In the past, it had been somewhat ill-defined as it was such a nascent technology that hadn't gone through the FDA before. And so the FDA was developing their policies and ways to handle it in the same timing as folks were coming out with new applications for artificial intelligence in the medical space. At this point, there's been significant maturation on the side of regulatory in terms of how to handle these. But there are some pitfalls uh, that can be encountered by groups that may not necessarily have gone through this before or have have the experience. What, what I would say is, and I'll relate it a little bit to what we're doing, is everything that we have has a mechanistic rationale behind it. It's not about raw AI spitting out a yes, no answer, where there's not explainability behind how you got to that conclusion. The black box, um, which is referred to a bit frequently and that many know of, is not only a hindrance to provider adoption, it's a hindrance to the FDA. Our validation against histopathology, meaning our validation against those live tissue specimens that have been reviewed and annotated by cardiac pathologists, allows us for all of our downstream interpretive models to say how we got there. And this is in a manner that makes sense to physicians. It's the plaque composition and the arterial measurements that are causing these events that are causing the blood flow limitation. And by having that intermediary, that intermediate validation, it's a lot more readily accepted. I would say that there's still a bit of ways to go in terms of how this is assessed from a regulatory perspective, but it's certainly matured significantly. And I'm sure as new applications for AI come about, there'll need to be additional changes that occur to adapt to those. Blake, thank you. I have one last question for you before we go to our discussion with Martin. Um, what do you enjoy most about working at a startup? I mean, that, it's hard, right? Like you, it's, it's a hard, lonely job being a CEO of a startup. And, you know, it's a unique space in the world. What, what do you like most about it? I love coming in every day here. I love the enthusiasm of all of the members of our team driving towards a unified mission. And at a larger company, that can somewhat get lost. Uh, not to say that that happens all the time, but we're a small group working together, and it's, it's really enjoyable the amount of energy everyone has and kind of the mission driving behind everything we do. Um, it, it feels more than a job. This is all of our lives, and we're doing something that not only we're passionate about, but it's helping patients. It's it's helping people, and I think that kind of underlying theme is uh, very prevalent in in everything that we do and in, in our interactions as a company. Well, thank you. Uh, that's really great, and I I think you're helping a lot of people with this too. So I am a big fan and really grateful for the work that you're doing, Blake. Thank you. That was a great pitch, and uh, we really appreciate your time and. I'm sure the audience will will really enjoy hearing about the work you guys are doing. Thanks so much, Owen. Thanks, Martin.
Thanks, Mark. All right. So, Martin, that was uh, that was fun. You know, it's fun to get my friends because that's you become friends with people, you become family with the yeah. companies you work with. It's fun to bring my friends on and give them a chance to, you know, strut their wares, do a little flexing, and see what people think. What uh, what were your thoughts hearing Blake's talk? Honestly, I enjoyed it. You can tell he's a passionate guy about it. And I think what I really liked about the pitch is he's doing what we're doing. Like he took us on the journey to understand what the startup is doing. He took you through that step-by-step process of, you know, what the problems are and, you know, what the solutions are and what Lucid is doing to help solve that problem. You know, his whole pitch just tied together. I think yeah. it was fantastically done. Like it's what we talked about last episode, you know, it's, it's not just about the pitching, it's about the storytelling of, you know, the whys. Right. So, and so he, he did a nice job about talking about how Elucid has a problem to solve, yeah. right? Which is better cardiovascular diagnosis, more accurate, more precise, and more, more efficient, um, which benefits patients. And it also benefits, you know, the systems that can, you know, direct capital uh, in the right directions. So I think that was really good. Did you feel, so I've known the story very well for a long time, obviously. Did you feel that you understood what they were doing? Did you get that in the pitch? I did. Like, you know, I don't come from a health background. My background is finance, sales. Like, you know, understanding what Blake talked about, you know, I fully understood what it is they're doing. Um, You know, some of the words might have been big words for me. Right. (laughs) No, I understood exactly what he was talking about, um, you know, what they were doing, what the problem was. So for me, right. it was easy to follow. It was easy. You know, what? the way I look at it, of course, I, I get it as a doctor, I get the science, but wh- the way I look at it is, you know, arteries are plumbing, essentially, yeah. they're pipes. And you can have a kink in an artery, but that's not what we're talking about, a kink in a, you know, in a tube. What we're talking about is buildup inside of the artery, and that's what these plaques are. And historically we think about these plaques and we don't really think about them as dynamic entities we think about them as things that just get bigger over time and at some point it's just tough for blood to get through and if your need for blood which carries oxygen goes up beyond that point that's when you can have something like a heart attack but it's really important to recognize i mean we know this but it's really important in the diagnostics to recognize that these plaques themselves can be dynamic and so, as Blake was saying, they can break, they can rupture. And what they've learned through their research is that if the plaque is, consists of certain things, like a lot of lipid-rich uh, areas, or which is fatty tissue, or um, just necrotic tissue, dead tissue, that it's going to rupture, it's going to break, more likely the risk goes up than if it's not. And so by being able to give that information to doctors, it's going to really create a whole new um, cohort of people who might not, for instance, have such significant tightenings that normally they wouldn't get an intervention. But now when we see, well, those plaques are very vulnerable, we got to do something today. And I mean, I hope that we can prevent strokes, that we can prevent heart attacks with this technology. So. That's really exciting to me. You know, uh, Elucid's in a really interesting position as a company. So, and this is one of the reasons I, I was fascinated because they have one product that they've just recently gotten through the FDA and got clearance, which is the plaque determination. And they have another product, the FFR that Blake talked about, 
which is going to be um, submitted for clearance this year through the FDA. So while they're still in this R&D state um, and critical R&D, because the FFR is really critical to their, you know, to their success, I think, they still have a product in market. So they can start to build a sales force. They can start to drive revenue. The revenue can support some of these R&D efforts. And over, over time, it will reduce, you know, their need to go to the capital market for investment to some extent. And it's just very validating and it creates, you know, a, a, a sales um, channel for them. And, you know, it gives them toeholds into hospitals. So I think that's a really neat um, situation that's not always common in early stage healthcare. You know, usually it's one product that, that they have to get into market before they really can focus on getting towards the second and third product. So that's kind of cool. Let me ask you this, obviously, because you know, we are an investor in Elucid. Like, you know, yeah. I want to know the first time you hear Blake Pitch, what do you stood out about this company that made you like, you know, I want to be, I want to be involved in this company. What was that light bulb moment? Oh, I'll tell you what the light bulb moment is, but, but I want to, the thing that I got to know Blake over time and I appreciated the professionalism and the, the, um, you know, his seriousness is his gravitas in his presentations and his, his passion about his work. And I think those things are, are in many ways more important, but not really something you can, you can quantify. So I think that was very important. But the light bulb for me was when I, when the Vasky cap got through FDA and we started talking about that. And I, you know, as an anesthesiologist, I've given anesthesia to patients who are having carotid endarterectomies, which are, you know, when your carotid arteries in your neck, which is one of you know, two of the major arteries that bring oxygen and blood to your brain, um, when that builds up with plaque, you can get a stroke. Yeah. Um, and obviously that can be lethal. It can also just be very, you know, very devastating, and a lot of morbidity. Um, so it's terrible. And when you're in the operating room and you're cleaning the plaque out of these arteries, you can see them. And sometimes the plaque looks, you know, like a big piece of chalk. And sometimes it's very, you know, nasty looking. And you're wondering how this thing hasn't been breaking and throwing, showering the brain with debris. And so it immediately, when we talked about this, it resonated with me that the value of being able to tell the decision makers, the, the physicians, how likely that plaque is to rupture. Um, that's not something we do today, and, and there's clear value to that. And you know, my dad had a stroke, so I, I know the devastating cost to a family and to an individual of having a stroke. Uh, so anybody who we can prevent that from happening, happening to, I think is a really big deal. So for me, that was what, what really made me um, excited at first about this and then getting to know the team better I just think it's a really good team. You know, they check the boxes and all of these things have to fire on all cylinders for success. And I think they do a really good job, but I'm very biased. So you know, <laughs> I take it for what it's worth. Uh, I know we always talk about team, team, team. So yeah. I'd be surprised if it wasn't a good team. <laughs> it's a solid team. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, I have no other questions or anything to add. Is there anything you want to add? Because I know we're running out of time for today. Yeah, we've gone a little long, so I, I don't want to add too too much, but I just really enjoyed this. I, I hope I hope the audience does as well, and we can have more more conversations like this with companies in the future. 
Yeah, I'm sure Blake's going to be blocking my email address when we email him like every five minutes about, <laughs> you know, heart attacks because it runs in my family. Like, hey, how do I detect right. that stuff? <laughs> but yeah, no, awesome. Owen, um, again, I really appreciate you coming on. And, um, you know, again, we appreciate everyone listening. And then, yeah, we'll see you all for the next episode where we'll bring another amazing episode for you. Okay, Take thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen.